Hey, everybody, this is Joe with a special announcement. We've just doubled our listener base to over 12,000 subscribers in the last two months. We'd like to take a moment to welcome our new listeners and to thank our listeners, new and old, for spreading the word and supporting the show. Going into season three of Entheogen, we've launched a Patreon campaign, and we'd like to invite you to please support us by pledging between $2 and $10 per episode. Please visit entheogenshow.com and click on support. And thanks again. This is Entheogen. Talk about tools for generating the divine within. Today is August 31st, 2016, and we are profoundly honored to be talking with three heroes of the psychedelic movement, recording live from Burning Man in Black Rock City, Nevada. First, we'd like to welcome returning guests, our good friends, Alex and Allison Gray, co-founders of the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors, or COSM. We'd also like to introduce our new friend and first-time guest on Entheogen, an architect of the modern psychedelic medicine movement, Rick Doblin, the founder and executive director of MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Thank you for listening, and we will join our conversation in progress. How do you, how do you guys feel, I mean, in terms of over your, your lifetime and your careers, um, that, that the movement is going? I think the three of us are overly enthusiastic, and we've seen uh, so much change lately, and we've seen so much uh, cause for hope. Can I just say this one thing, because that's something I wanted to say before, too, which relates to this, is that I think one of the reasons why we haven't made progress towards legalization is because we're such peaceful people. It makes you peaceful. And as a people, we've been very, very compliant and trying to do everything the right way and going and being not militaristic because nobody wants to fight. And I'm glad, I'm glad, but I think that it has to non-violence. be... Non-violence. Uh, non-violence. And I, I'm it's really the, glad because I'm the not violent, but I, I do think that's one of the reasons why we're still struggling with this. I started smoking in 1969. I just got busted in 2016, okay? It's still not as bad as it ever was, but it is still an oppression. And what is, what is going to change that? What, what, how is it going to be that we can just, you know... Like, relax on this. There are, I walked in the door right now. That would have been the best timing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, you know, there. Yes. Uh, like we've caught him in. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the advocate who is uh, sensible, and uh, he's uh, somebody who you could listen to and, and trust uh, because he can show you the statistics on uh, the medicine that cannabis is and the medicine that all the psychedelics uh, can be when used in the proper set and setting. And uh, I think that the revelation of the Johns Hopkins uh, study and the Walter uh, Pankey uh, work, you know, the Good Friday experiment, to me that solidifies the bond between uh, the mystical experience and psychedelics. There's now no question that there is a repeatable means of accessing uh, the mystical dimension. Whatever we may think about it, whether we call it God or not, you know, you're in touch with infinite consciousness, whatever that is. Is it inside? Is it outside? We can't say. You know, it's all of it. So uh, the, the one consciousness that we all are presencing, you know, is operate, oh, is contactable 65% of the time when done in the proper set setting. Now, I don't know another religion that can deliver that kind of result, really. Yeah. Uh, 
a full-on full on God contact within the within I don't know four, not all of us five 65%. hours six, six hours that's a, that's a incredibly dose. significant statistical result sixty five percent of of participants I mean that's that's incredibly significant when it's, you look at like any kind of study I mean they they look they look at like you know like few percentage points uh, right like uh, if, if you know counts as an effect but 65 percent is like pretty it's a majority it's yeah it's a, it's a majority clear and they're 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 factoring down yeah they're factoring down it may be more like somebody seven. might be here oh yeah all right it's that rick person oh, is it a recently foamed Two rick minutes. doblin <laughs> <laughs> Freshly foamed Hello. Rick Doblin. Oh, you look so fresh, Rick. Should I uh, squeeze in? Oh, you squeeze in. Hello. Yeah, I hear you've made a great contribution oh. to the police forever. <laughs> 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 I'm not my fight. Hello. How are you? It's me. They got me. Oh, they got uh, It was uh, me. It wasn't uh, Alex. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, it was in my bag. I took it in this way, and he can. No, I'm sitting right here. You can do whatever you want to do. They Thank made you. people pay cash right on the spot. I would have done that. Mm. I would have done it to get out of there, but you have, <laughs> have to. Uh, no, I think it's it actually. It was on the table. What cash we had? I think yeah, I had, had some cash with me, yeah, and they pulled our place apart, the and they took oh, out the cash, but they didn't take it. They just left it sitting here. My mother's ring. I was very worried about that. It was in my wallet because they go through your wallet. I mean, yeah. They just made it messy and kind of intentionally. That was a, that was a little shitty. Yeah, like, how much is it to clean your thing there? How much are they asking? Yeah, that's you know? what they asked us. Uh, you know, because they would like to tromp all over. Clean it if it's really dirty, but we would never leave it that way. I, I don't know. And they're coming in here to. They're just they're you pirates. Clean their boot yeah. dust. What, once they found the marijuana, did they keep looking for yes. other they things? Found, yes, they found a jar of CBD, minutes, which we which is we convinced we convinced them that that was legal. CBD. It had a picture of my pot leaf that I had painted on it. It's you a know. sticker. Uh, so it's like, it's my oh, what's this? What's this? You know, it looks like a pill. But they didn't. They and didn't charge us for the CBD. We said, yeah. look, look it up. It's, it's absolutely legal in, in, in fifty states. 
But anyway, there was a few a few little things, and I think they, Alex offered them some chocolates, which was cannabis. But, uh, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, they, they found it, and you said you know, it was you offered yeah. that it was cannabis chocolate rather than yeah. just saying. You know, they took it. <laughs> I, mean, I guess so. Wait for them to eat it, and then did call they the asked cops you guys if you had anything, and did you have to yes. answer yes. the question? And we uh, didn't tell them anything until we got out of the car. I mean, they were just bringing the dogs. And everything. I thought oh, I'm God. just going to tell them where it is on me I wanted to get you know I wanted to them to know that I was going to be responsible for it not all three of us yeah. and Johnny got a speeding ticket for seven, going seven miles over the uh, ten mile limit so yeah they were like and, and they do have a lawyer for the burn that is yeah. doing mm-hmm. a class action Kevin went through this I, I used them once 500 people <laughs> they worked did it yeah I mean I was served for um, they apparently sent a um under underage undercover narc into our um, mojito bar and then served me a serving them a minor uh, ticket for like seventeen hundred dollars but i went to lawyers for burners and they helped me out and they also um what did they do because well they went to court or did they expunge no they threw it out because basically i I guess there was no evidence i have an unblemished record this is my first arrest (laughs) you've made it this far I started smoking in 1969. I soaked it out because I I thought this is is important. I did too. We actually educated these people. So many of our friends have really suffered uh, from the drug war. 20 years is a long time. And I know a guy who uh, is an LSD POW. And the the nicest guy you could ever find. Great collector and, uh, He's a real supporter of Cosm. At any rate, he served his time and now he's gone straight. 20 years he did good 20. Stuff. But uh, it was a, 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 what a, what a strange thing. One of the most wonderful things about his tenure, he's got to write a book, is that during seven, at least of those years, he was in a place um, in Florida, in Tampa, and uh, he was uh, walking around the yard one day, and he and he looked at these mushrooms growing, <laughs> and he and he thought, "What? I'm going to grab some of these, you know." And uh, and so he harvested, and he found out that there's a psilocybin uh, that grows in Tampa, uh-huh. Tampansas or something like that, and so. Uh, he harvested and tripped <laughs> his, his entire. Didn't tell journey. anybody. It's like so he was the only his one. His roommate and he, oh, you he know, and he blamed the smell on the dirty socks of his roommate. <laughs> it was hilarious. Well, the other thing that he said that I that I think was incredible is that he there was only about five days out of the twenty years that he was in prison that he didn't smoke weed. Wow, five wow. days, and that happened during transfers. You know, like getting there and stuff. And what he did. You know, for a living, when he was in the uh, prison, was to be a provider. Wow. And he never worked. I mean, he got right. other people to work. You can get you can get other people to work <laughs> by giving them meat. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so he was he was in the prison. He was very well loved. They never had any problems, but he was providing. How, 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 does, how does set incredible. and setting work in a prison? Yeah, Casey Hardison is camping with us. He spent ten years in jail. Really? Yeah, for making uh, LSD and DMA. In England, and uh-huh. that was a lot more civilized to be in jail in England. Wow! Wow! Yeah, yeah. yeah it's well, intense on our tribe. Yeah, uh, the oppression must stop. You know, 
thank you for all of your efforts uh, in the good yeah. science that is, uh, I think, the, the opening for um, the sacrament of psychedelics yeah. and theogens to make their entree back. But I was going to say that the culture has already uh, been receptive, you know, yeah. to a lot of the uh, cues, uh, even of very famous artists like Miley Cyrus. You know? <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, like, oh, but uh, she's such a good artist. Yeah. You have to see her work. She's you know, so young. I mean, she's so psychedelic. psychedelic. Oh, yeah, the Wayne, happy hippie foundation Wayne. she has. She's Wayne Coyne, uh, the Flaming Lips. Um, yeah very overtly psychedelic in a kind of burner way, mm -hmm. really, yeah. you know, and so the, uh, they're pretty, I don't know, that's a lot of millions of people that at least they are known, you know, and uh, then the hip hop uh, dude. Yeah, ASAP Rocky. ASAP Rocky. Oh, yeah. Well, it crosses a over ago, into the know, hip hop. Or a year ago or something. LSD. Uh, L, uh, L point SD. Now this thing was seen like and millions of times uh, on YouTube. And so, although they're alluding to it and they're not kind, they're kind of specific. Well, they say love, sex, not. dreams. Yes. Wink, wink. So there's a, uh, an element of it never went away. It's still here. And uh, and it's tremendously oppressed, but the science is good and redemptive of the entire class. Right. Yeah, Wait, you know, actually you've had yeah. a challenge with the police here, but we've had a breakthrough year with the police. Oh, yes. fantastic. So we actually did training. Um, Sarah, who's in charge of the Zendo Project here, did um, three 45-minute uh, trainings with 60 BLM and other police here a few days before oh, Burning Man about Zendo. And they were really grateful. And then what do you I'm, tell them? Um, just about de-escalation and about how it's better to handle people that are tripping in a compassionate way and don't come at them with force and that you don't need to tranquilize them, you don't need to arrest them, but you need to get them to, to us and we'll help them That's wherever good. possible. And they were sympathetic. And then we had um, two people who were going to spend the night, Sunday night, in the Zendo just because it was all set up and beautiful and we didn't want it to be completely empty and about three in the morning they're walking to the zendo and just as they're about to go in the door a blm guy comes up to them and they're like really nervous about what and the guy says i just want to thank you for doing the zendo it's great and it's really helpful to us to have a place to bring people and we've had now the rangers are bringing people to us too Excellent. for the first time rangers. i didn't know they didn't bring, i thought they, they weren't supposed but it's changed so this year so yesterday i met so with marion briefly goodell who's the ceo of burning man and she said you know years and years i've been telling you you have to be patient you have to be patient and now we're finally coming through I find it amazing that someone told you you have to yeah, be patient. Yeah. Because, <laughs> right. uh, we, we, you know, everything about you is like this is the most patient guy in the history of the world. Okay. Well, before you, just before you walked in, we were. I mean, I was saying that I think one of the reasons why it's taken, you know, it's here. It is almost fifty years uh, since I, you know, smoked pot, and you know, sixties were, you know, and why haven't we made more progress? You know what I mean? Like here I am getting arrested, yeah. you know? Yeah. So uh, I think it's partially due to us being such a peaceful people. This, this substance and these substances make us really peaceful. We're not, you know, 
I don't know. We're, we're, we're not seekers. conflict seekers. We're, we're not alcoholics. Super <laughs> prohibition. <laughs> or right. Yeah, but we're also um, self-identified as counterculture. That took a long time to get over. You know, so, you'd like let's run away and build our own society elsewhere, mm-hmm. and then you're not involved in trying to change yeah. it as much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But also, there's just the fear of the psyche. It's not about. It's just so much ingrained fear of when you take the lid off and stuff comes up. It's scary, and so the repression of drugs is the repression of the psyche. Mm-hmm. And there's the money factor. Right? When yeah. Follow the money. What happens to people when yeah. they get their money seized by cops? And where does that money go? And really, yeah. that money goes into the law enforcement who doesn't put it in their pocket. They spend it on equipment and training. Who provides yeah. that equipment and training are the people who perpetuate the war on drugs. The, yeah. the Counter Narcotics Officers Association, the Chief of Police Association, all these yeah. political entities designed to keep the war on drugs going. I mean, that's literally their yeah. mission, their goal. That's where they get their money, follow the money. And the more There's drug dealers there are, the more money these guys make. Yeah, the um, Department of Justice just said about a week, two weeks ago that they're going to stop referring people to private prisons. Exactly, yeah. I know. Yeah. And, 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 and it was Bernie yeah, that really like, even started to blow that up. Like, yeah. what is this going on? So he really made yeah. a public thing. He has a great voice. So, yeah. but anyway... Um, yeah. Uh, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, I think the culture is, uh, I think through your art too, I mean the ways in which people have been trying to tell the psychedelic story in ways that people can appreciate it without sure. having to do the drugs. That helps normalize the it beauty. too. The, the beauty. The beauty and the art is major, just as much as the science, I the think. Love. It's all about the cultural readiness and preparing. Um, and, and even like, like I spoke... Um, uh, a week and a half ago in Oregon at the Flotation Tank Conference. Is that the, right? The annual conference of the Flotation Tank industry. Ah, wow, uh, this I year they have 700 people at the conference. Jeez. There's 175 float centers, and um, over half of them have been in existence a year or less. Wow. Yeah, right. So it's just this incredible curve of flotation tanks. We have one wow. in New Paltz. We, oh, and we happening went to all, one in all Central over. Europe. That's amazing. And, and we've been to several. They yeah. have like a bunch of them. It's totally amazing. In, uh, in Germany. Oh, uh, we and, were in Munich. And the guy uh, who I think founded it, or, or at least was a big part of it, uh, toured us and the Pinacotech. Anyway, and there's a lot of it, and you went to yeah. this conference uh, of seven, yeah. 700 people yeah, and, the, and the, their float experience. And the first speaker was the um, owner of the largest float center in the world, which is 11 tanks in L.A. And at the end of his talk, he said, well, you know, a lot of people talk about John Lilly, and I, my advice is don't even mention him. It's too controversial. Ah. So I was the last talk. <laughs> talk about this guy. <laughs> yeah. So I talked a lot about John Lilly and oh. drugs and doing uh, LSD and the, flota- and the flotation tank that I had at my house and about you the do. research. You do. You have a flotation wow. tank I in your house. To. I used yeah. to. Is I don't it, have it. Was right it now. an isolation or just well, flotation? Tank. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's very different now, you know. Well, the no, flotation that they're well, doing, a lot of it is you look up at you know lights I mean the one we did they in Central sound and lights sometimes both yeah. of us in one it was a it, bigger than a king size California oh, wow. king it was a yeah. big you know very shallow with a blue light and they had nine of these throughout Europe and I know that they have one in, in uh, New Pulse that doesn't have isolation either we did isolation in the 70s with Harry Hunt yeah Terry Hunt. yeah yeah you do yeah well he wanted us to have his isolation I today. know Marion <laughs> wow. Marion yes yeah, yeah. but anyway the yeah, good, yeah. Good, so the society uh, is now good. more open to floating. Yes. It's happening and the mainstreaming of meditation and yoga yes. and all of that. And, 
hospice centers and birthing centers. So we're ready to integrate psychedelics. Wow. I think many people are already doing it. I think it's yeah. just a, a, well, we have to, people have to recognize the benefit, how good it is for people. See, people are attracted to, to Burning Man crowd. They're just say, Cosm people. It is our, it is people that are happy. They're uplifted. They're yeah. creative. They're beautiful. They're filled with health and they're really interested in health. These are some of the yoga. Yeah. These are our people. They want to save the environment. Save the environment. Yeah, because this is an awful cool masterpiece that God worked on for a long time, <laughs> billions of years apparently. So uh, why be the suicidal species? You know, can't we vision something higher? Try this medicine. <laughs> you might get a hint or a glint of the mystic experience that I think has characterized the birth of great religions in the past. And they all were born with this visionary mystical experience, like you were saying. Uh, and some kind of contact with an infinite consciousness. Now this becomes spiritual very quickly to people. And there's a discomfort in a materialist society, I would say, with the introduction of, quote, spirituality. Because a number of uh, very um, rational thinkers have felt like we got rid of religion and spirituality and all that stuff. Like, why are you coming back to us? But then you have the science of uh, Panky and, and Griffiths yeah. that shows the proof that there is apparently a whatever we call it. It's a it's a experience that when people do have that experience, they're transformed. And uh, overall, it's a positive uh, thing, and great healing comes about through it. And yeah. it's usually through that you have to have the experience. Then you can transform. Yeah, and that's why we have to go beyond medicine, the legalization. Because for medicalization, the science, at least, that we're doing now is only for people with a diagnosable condition. Right. But we need to anchor it in millions and billions of people well, beyond people. just medicine. Yes. Uh, yes. And so that's, for me, why it's been essential to talk about drug policy reform as well as the science. But, you know, Einstein said that uh, there's no real conflict between science and religion. There's a conflict between bad science and bad religion. <laughs> you know? so, Bingo. You know. Albert Hoffman. Very you know, like, uh, he, he was a total mystic scientist, you know? Yeah. A mystic so, chemist. Yeah. yeah. Bad science. Bad, bad science and bad religion. This yeah. was one of my yeah. questions, too, is like how, how you guys envision everything, I don't know, 25 years from now. I mean, yeah. how how could it, and I'm, and I'm sure you've been thinking about this for a long time, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, how, uh, j just because of the, the potent nature of psychedelics, what what kind of setting would that be, how would that be controlled? I mean, obviously yeah. it can't be a, a free-for-all because we, we, we saw that and that didn't work out either in, in some circles. So how, how do we put the proper protocols in place to make it always a, the most productive thing it can be? Well, one of the things we were doing here with the Zendo Project is to try to make it so that when people use it in non-medical recreational settings, mm -hmm. if the experience gets deeper than they had intended, mm -hmm. there's support for it. Because I don't think that it's only appropriate in a religious context sure. or only appropriate in a medical context. Mm -hmm. This is one of the more appropriate places for it. 
Sure. So I think each context has their own set of policies. But if we look at what's happening now with marijuana moving towards um, legalization in a few more states in this coming election, it began in 1996 with California and Arizona passing medical marijuana laws. So it's taken more or less 20 years of medicalization mm -hmm. to really start tipping the balance towards legalization for recreational non-medical use. So I think psychedelics are going to have a somewhat similar trajectory, maybe a little bit shorter because we'll have a lot of experience with marijuana legalization. So we're basically five, six years from legal MDMA for PTSD and psilocybin for end of life, if our assumptions are correct. And we're just starting this um, application to FDA actually um, the last few days. And so we'll have these meetings in the next few months. But let's assume that that's right. So we get medicalization in clinics for only trained therapists, only specially licensed clinics. Mm -hmm. And then that goes on for five or 10 years and it starts then to expand all the different uses. Sure. And then we start having family members of people that are dying to go through psychedelics, not just the people that are dying because it affects the whole family. We just did our first study with couples therapy for where, where this is with the VA therapist. This is a massive breakthrough. Um, so it's VA affiliate therapists and they've developed couples therapy where one member of the couple has PTSD but it affects the relationship and so we got permission from the FDA to give both members of the couple MDMA wow. and we just did the first session this is last so, month. What a breakthrough, that's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, wow. so you're starting to expand to the family members that get MDMA, not just the right. designated patient. Immediately they want to they want their family to know about it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and we find that it helps for the other partner to do MDMA. Well, it was very <laughs> helpful when they were doing family therapy and couples counseling yeah, yeah. with MDMA before it was illegal because I remember vividly watching Phil Donahue yeah. and he had the whole audience full of people yeah. who were in therapy yeah. using MDMA and they had a video of this couple and they were doing their couples therapy and they said, give a few minutes of them working it out and talking honestly and openly to each other. And I was very impressed with that video because it, 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 it they, they broke up. And I thought, great, they broke up amicably with love. And it was yeah, a really yeah. good, it was a really good yeah. example. Yeah. I've been dying to ask uh, Rick this question since reading Acid Test, but you, <laughs> there, there's a reference in the book to uh, a beautiful breakup that oh, you had yes, yeah. once on MDMA. So did I said, what, what does that look like? No, well, it was, it was with MDA. With MDA, MDA, okay, I, so, I so MDA. MDA. So it was, yeah, it was fantastic. So there was this woman that we were in love, and um, she had had a long-term relationship that had broken up um, before she and I got together, and then this old um, lover came back into the picture. Oh. And so um, the question was, you know, was she better off with me or with him? <laughs> so she and I um, decided to do MDA together to think it over. And so we did it on the roof of my house in Sarasota. And um, we did it at night. And um, what, what came for me the, was this idea that um, the passage of the stars of the night became the foreground and our discussions became the background. So that we would say something and we would sit and think for like 45 minutes or an hour, just like settling and we could see the stars go by. We were so peaceful. And at one point in the middle of the night, I felt like I need to be fully out front. So I went downstairs and shaved off my mustache, <laughs> which was the last time wow. I've had a mustache. Wow. And I'd had it for years and years. Yeah. And then I came up and we started talking more. And then it just seemed like her um, vision for her own future was more 
you know, family kind of setting. And that was a little bit earlier for me. And my vision was more political and out in the world. And so by the morning, it was clear that she would be better off with this old lover of hers to go back. You, you and did so, eventually become a father, and, but you needed, yeah. and then, wasn't the time for and you. And then this woman, Mary Beth Holmes, she became um, the first board, one of the first board of directors of MAPS. Hmm. Oh, wow. So I felt comfortable enough to have her be my boss in oh. a way. Oh, <laughs> even though she went off to be with this other guy. And, did it work um, out with them? For years and years, but then they broke up too. Uh, eventually, yeah, so it didn't quite. But it was totally the right decision for us. But the MDA helped us to really listen in the silences and to just sort things through and to realize that it wasn't a rejection of each other it's if right. it was it was kind of fine where is your heart what are you looking for and what am I looking for and then how do we help each other do that I and, love and that I don't know if we could have done that without the MBA in yeah. such a smooth way can I ask a druggy wow. question of somebody who really understands this I've done MDA and MDMA and I wondered what you feel is the effect difference like how does it affect you differently I'm sure there's molecular differences uh, I can imagine but in your, yeah. your, your well like when I felt when I described how the stars became the foreground that's oh. more of a kind of a psychedelic I see you know with the MDMA you're oh. a little bit more grounded and more in the relationship and okay. more talking so that that added little psychedelic element took us out of ourselves and so we were just you know, there in the sweep of the night. Yeah, my, my experience was so separated. Like, I did MDMA when I was very young, and then I did MDMA way later with Alex, and I just don't remember, like, what, uh, what the difference, what, you know, It's a little bit more visual, the MDA, okay. a little bit harder to talk at parts of it. Okay, no, that is, I remember <laughs> that. Because MDMA, you know, you do a lot of talking. Very yeah. effusive, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I remember with MDMA, I was trying yeah. to... MDA. MDA, I mean... I, yeah. I remember what I was doing, and I don't remember saying much at all. It's very true. You're not as talkative yeah. or uh, out, outward. I was very happy, though. Yeah, and I remember that as one of the pivotal moments of my life, that decision, because I felt like I wasn't ready to be a nester. I needed this work because of the cruelty of the drug war and the whole the need for this spiritual experience, and, and I just felt that that was where I was called to go. This yeah. was 1985, right? Wow. The year before I started MAP. <coughs> that we had this kind of separation. When did you get 85. <coughs> yeah. That was the, the year that we did MDMA and we had the vision of the chapel. The first time we ever did it. Well, us. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Vin yeah, vintage year, 85. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got together in 75, but 85 is a, is a banner year. Yeah, no, like we, we have not done MDMA yet. was a banner year when we got together and uh, did Antheon Village. Well, that was 2006. Yeah, that's what this shirt is. That's what this shirt is. Really? The bicycle? The 20th anniversary, 10 years ago. Antheon Village. I wore this because Woo! honor you guys, because this oh, was our... Oh, that is vintage. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I, I got to take yeah. a picture there. I'm sorry. Well, while you're taking a picture, I would like to say that it is Cosm's 20th anniversary and Maps' 30th anniversary yeah. into here, here. 2016 we became a non-profit in 1996 wow. <laughs> that's great we uh when we were preparing yeah. uh for the for the podcast you i 
yeah. Go, go, going through my my notes, I had I had remembered uh, Alex speaking at Cosm one time, and you said uh, the inevitable consequence of love uh, is built is the building of temples. And, uh, and as I was reading Acid Test, I uh, I thought uh, both of maps, but also Rick's handball court. Yeah, yeah. And I thought you know if you <laughs> if you guys would comment on that. Well, for me, yeah, the handball court was the. Um, I think the the um, the decision for me that I had tried to accelerate my spiritual development by taking LSD over and over and over higher amounts sooner and sooner. I'd done a three week primal therapy intensive primal scream thing where I was in isolation for three weeks except for an hour a day in a padded room to scream with the therapist. I'd done this month long um, encounter group work. I'd done a workshop with Stan right after he was married to Joan Halifax. Oh, wow. Wow. I'd done all these things in 72 to just try to um, accelerate my development. And then I was just was frustrated because I wasn't where I wanted. And mm. that's where I realized that you, you can't do it that way. It's just, you have to do the integration work. You have to be, that's where I started learning about being patient, you know, <laughs> that, that I was so impatient. I was just like, give me more, give me more. And, uh, but I couldn't quite let go. I didn't have the strength. So I um, was able to, um, I was just lost, and I went home. My parents let me come back home, and I just stayed home for a couple months, and I just sat. And it was great of my parents, too, because I was the oldest of four kids, so here I was, a dropout of college. You know, the first off to college, I'm dropout, doing LSD, totally lost. Yeah, your, your parents come off very well in the book. Yeah, they, they totally should. <laughs> and, and, and so I just started realizing that I had been super um, into my mind, and very much reading books, and political and not very emotional and and also that I didn't have like the talents you have to to draw things I didn't have physical I couldn't like express I didn't have I wasn't grounded but I I was um, the champion of my high school in handball and so I, I finally realized that if I could to try to get grounded to get into the material world that I talked to my parents and said I'd like to go back to college to where my friends were I don't want to go to school. I don't want to be in school. I do want to keep tripping. But what I want to do mainly is build something and feel like in the physical world I was able to create something. And it's the kind of thing where you do your work and then the next day you come back and it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like solid. And, and so I'd been this champion at handball and, and the, high, the college I went to needed facilities. So um, I said to my parents, would you donate the money to build for, let me build this handball court? And um, they agreed. Oh my God, they wow. did. They're they so gave awesome. him a handball I love your parents. his parents house. Well, his parents Yeah, yeah. 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 When that guy. And then we went to yeah. uh, the uh, Baha'i Temple. Yeah, that was, that was so. That was the same year. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. Uh, 2006. Yeah. Uh, yeah, geez, that was beautiful. That's our history there. It was this. I sort of took it to extremes building this handball card because it's like a, you know, you have to have a perfect plane for the ball to bounce right. So I tried to, you know, be this perfect uh, symmetry, and I just mm. built really slow. Because the thing about laying block is that the skill comes in how fast you can do it. You laid but if the you don't block. Want, I mean, yeah, really, I, I thought I, build a handball court. Oh, you know? no, I, I became a mason. <laughs> oh, <laughs> really? Yeah, oh, I, I spent a year building this, and I was building it right across from the swimming pool at the college, which was a nudist colony. <laughs> 
this was in the early and 70s. Ball, and ball court with a view. My girlfriend was the uh, nude lifeguard. Is that right? <laughs> so, you could so the speed of laying the bricks. So I would work a little bit, go swimming, and work some more, and go swimming. And it was this protected environment. The, the campus police protected us from the real police, and we had flotate. We sort of had a homemade float tank, isolation tank that we had on campus, and we did, you know, we're tripping all night till sunrise. That's where I I went to the wrong to, college. Yeah, I just <laughs> incredible. What college was that? The, New college. New college. New, new college of Florida. Now it's the Florida. Honors College of the State of Florida. So yeah, an experimental college. And but the physicality of building this handball court um, really did help to ground me. And um, sometimes the I would trip when I had to move the scaffolding because it's it's forty foot long, twenty foot wide, and twenty foot high. Wow. So it's this enormous you know project. And so I would uh, when I had to move the scaffolding, I, I wanted to do it all by myself if I could. And so I you know would take LSD and think about balance because I'd have to do these awkward physical things to move the scaffolding. And um, and then my girlfriend, her father. Um, he didn't really like me because she was from a Catholic high school and he was a, like a southern redneck type and I was this northern Jewish liberal LSD dropout. Uh, but he taught a course, he was a contractor, and he taught a course on how to help people pass the contractor's exam. And so I asked my uh, girlfriend if she would ask her dad if I could take his class for free. And so I knew that he would, uh, he would have to say yes, but he would say yes because he thought I would fail. And then he could show that I didn't deserve his daughter. So really, <laughs> why not? Conspiracy. Yeah. So, so it turned out I, I passed by the the narrowest of margins. I was the youngest and dumbest contractor in all of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's where I moved from this handball court to then building my house when I turned 21. You built your house with your own hands. Well, I had I did, but I, I mostly um, had the phone and contracted and I had the pickup truck and got the materials and designed yeah. it and, wow. but but I inherited some money when I turned 21 and I thought I'd run it through myself and see what it meant and build a home but uh, it was a home for tripping but it was a family home blending for being for psychedelic therapy and um, the originals end up the original yeah and uh, actually the first work I ever did with someone with PTSD was in that house yeah. with MDMA also in 1984 in wow. 85 and that's wow. where knowing and seeing that it works and that woman that I worked with is now one of our lead therapists that's great she had, PTSD. she had PTSD she had PTSD a much better healer than one who's been through it and transformed yeah. their yeah. relationship to something that seems and practically insurmountable and uh, with the with all the uh, suicide rate of the poor returning vets and things like that that it's uh, it couldn't come at a better time we're uh, all so grateful uh, that whatever the um, the good science and medicine can do to help heal the uh, yeah. well the, the thing I'm most proud of um, is that for our study in veterans to try to heal so we decided to have a, a MDMA study in veterans but for political reasons 
we decided to, to, to express the point that it's for the, the um, first responders. We said it's for veterans, firefighters, and police officers. Uh-huh. And we didn't think we'd get any firefighters or police officers, but th- that's just in the title of the study. So that would be reinforced that this is not yes. just for hippies at Burning Man, <coughs> you know, this is for the mainstream. Yes. And so we've got 26 people in the study, and 22 of them were veterans, three were firefighters, including one who had PTSD from 9 11. Wow. wow. And we had a police officer volunteer, too. Wow. And more is, and more, uh, I've been encountering police officers who are talking about the trauma yes. of being a police officer and yes. how it's really hard on them and they have I to know. cover it up just the way you know soldiers aren't supposed to talk about it. And they should be allowed to smoke. You know, cannabis, you know, and CBD. Stop, some, they should stop, stop arresting your, uh, people, being pirates. Well, That's what they yeah. should do. Of course. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, I mean, I, I think but that it's uh, uh, I, like a polarity shift. Uh, can't things happen? You know, that, uh, oh, we figured out a way to make money from this stuff. Uh, we'll stop oppressing you now. And, uh, you know, let's uh, de- reschedule. Uh, what would you like to see as a next step in scheduling for cannabis? Well, I think cannabis should be descheduled. So do I. And, and I think the rescheduling should be based on the science. And so I, I was not sympathetic with the efforts to try to reschedule marijuana from one to two, which was never going to happen anyway because the science isn't there for it. Interesting. But the efforts, you know, where the DEA recently said that they objected to, the, they re- rejected the rescheduling. But they agreed to end the night of monopoly. Uh-huh. Just a couple. Yeah. And so the, no, that's the, huge. And the the way in which it worked, where people were asking for rescheduling, it gave DEA in a way. For the top line was they say no to rescheduling, but then they say yes to ending the monopoly. So there has been no backlash. They're seeming harsh, but they're opening the door to research, which is the real key. That's yeah. good. And so okay. and that's what will lead to rescheduling for mm-hmm. medical use. Yes. Because I feel like we've said for so long the science is being blocked by the politics. Yes. And that's fundamentally wrong. And we need the science. And so now I don't think it's right for us to say we don't need the science. Now that the politics is no, shifting, no, no. let's reschedule without the science. So let's deschedule. But for rescheduling, it should be based on scientific research, which is the phase three studies that don't exist for marijuana. Mm-hmm and which is what we're about to try to do for MDMA. So the, the rescheduling effort put pressure on DEA, but they were never going to say yes, but it gave them political cover to say yes to something more meaningful without any kind of backlash. Well, the ending of that monopoly that Craker uh, uh, yeah. Is, yeah. and your uh, organization has been on the case yeah. for... Uh, Since 1999 is when I first started... Because it was in the 90s that we had two marijuana studies approved by FDA and IRB, and NIDA refused to sell us the marijuana. So that's where I realized to make marijuana into a medicine, there were two prerequisites. One was ending the monopoly, and the other was getting FDA to accept vaporizers as a research tool. Because the smoking marijuana, from a rational point of view, it should be accepted as a medicine because marijuana doesn't cause lung cancer. It's high-potency pot is not really the problem. So smoked marijuana should make it through the FDA, but it's politically easier to use vaporization because it's a non-smoking Well, they can think of a way that people can actually have a factory and have money. You see, it's like they (laughs) want to monetize it. When you can put seeds in your front yard and grow them yourself and just be happy, 
or get them from your neighbor who, who gives a little more yeah. attention to, to, to gardening. Uh, they don't like that so much. They want to monetize it. I think that's why all this processing yeah. it really makes them feel a little bit more comfortable. It's well, what well, they're the, comfortable with is pharmaceutical. Ex except for the it's vaporization the doesn't need, need processing because you can take a bud and that's stick it true. into a vaporizer. No, that's so, very so, good so that's why the vaporizer is the only way that you can use why do they the feel bud better about in the non because it's not smoking because of all the effort to stop uh, people from smoking oh, I cigarettes. See. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, but but we're going to so what I'm now trying to figure out is how to make a, a story to either donors or investors about making the marijuana bud into a medicine in generic form in smoked or vaporization. So it'll be roughly 20 million dollars to do the research to get the FDA to accept marijuana as and this is what I was talking about to accept it as a medicine, but then it's it goes generic after 3 years. So can the original investors make their money back or the original, is it a donation or an investment? So we're trying to analyze that and, and well, look at that well, one of the big keys in vaporization is the oil revolution that's happened and its consistency more than anything. Yeah. Because you can take the shittiest pot in the world yeah. and run it through the right process and come out with 95% THC or yeah, exactly. whatever specific component yeah. Put that in a vape pen, and then every time somebody takes an inhale, they're getting a specific dosage of exact chemicals. And the problem with flowers, and you know, obviously I smoke weed. Yeah. Uh, the problem with flowers is the top bud of the plant that's closest to the sun is going to be different from the bottom branches of the plant. So, yeah. just the nature of growing the cannabis plant, there is no way you can test a plant and say it's 25% THC or 25% this or that because it's all about where the light hits the plant, where the nutrients yeah. suck up in the right places. I mean, there's so many factors, but you put it into uh, an oil and refine that oil, you can get yeah. a very consistent thing that you can then put in the bait pen yeah. and do what you're trying yeah. to do. Yeah, on the other hand, the idea of uh, patient self-titration is a key advantage of marijuana, either vape or smoke. Right, you can, you can do that with that vape pen so, as well. So that's why the argument will be with the FDA that we don't need precise consistency of you know 25% THC and X percent C as long as it's within a, a small range then people can adjust how much they smoke how long they smoke it so we've got that principle in this marijuana PTSD study that we're about to start with this 2.1 million dollar grant from the state of Colorado so it's with 76 veterans and so um, we're, we're giving people 1.8 grams per day mm -hmm. but they can smoke as much as they want or as little as they want whatever time they want and we're just track how they use it. So we're trying to get the principle of patient self-titration, and then that overwhelms a little bit this idea that you need a super precise marijuana. But the other point is that you could get marijuana in bud form, and it's more or less the same. And what you could do if it's a batch that's a little bit less strong is then you could spray on some isolated cannabinoids and then you can get a more well, consistent supply. The way they do the they, synthetic cannabinoids. That, that's the big advantage of the vape pens, the pre-filled yeah. cartridges, right? Yeah. Because then you can get, uh, I have yeah. a good friend who's producing way too much hash oil who takes it to a 95% THC yeah. level and then cuts it back with specific terpenes to get the flavors. Yeah. And that gives you a really yeah. consistent product. It, it's all about the self-titration, yeah. but knowing that every time you take a puff it's that same level and you can you can yeah, kind of gauge I'll, on that. I would be more enthused about vapes if uh, and I'm curious what your opinion is but for me it's a different high when you smoke it when you vape it and the high 
most long-term smokers that I know prefer burning it. Me yeah. too. I'm like that. We do. We do do both. The first, but here's yeah. the way I feel about it. It's a branching broccoli. There's yeah. many opportunities. I love to carry chocolate. If I'm on a plane and I take a little bit of chocolate, it's really great. I like to have this. I like to have that. It's a branching. So yeah, they, yes. they're, they're a little intimidated or they're not used to uh, self-administered medicine. And I think that makes people uncomfortable, that, that, that cannabis in general is, the, the great advantage of it is that you can decide. Personal responsibility you for your less, health. You yes, know? yes, exactly. exactly. And they think that, that they call that self-medicating. Self-medicating has gotten a kind of pejorative spin on it, where I feel like self-medicating is where it's at, really. Yeah. And and children, young people that are jumping up and down and at, at parties and are self-medicating are really healing. And they're really getting better, and I've seen it happen because I know them well, and I know, like, I know people that would like go for a period of their life and go to these, you know, parties where every Saturday they got to take MDMA and jump up and down to the DJs. They are self-medicating, and they are healing, and they're getting better. And and I, I think there should it'd be great to do a study of this. A lot of these people, I, I would imagine, uh, don't do that forever. They do that for right, a period right, exactly of time, right, exactly and then they're better right. yeah, yeah. people on the other end, because yeah. I know intimately people yeah. in my family like this. Yeah. Better people on the other end, yeah. they don't do it so much. Then they go and they do, you know, yeah. branching broccoli, you know, alcohol, a little this, a little that. If you could control yourself, all of these things, it's just when you can't control yourself and things get out of hand. But that's, that's a where medical issue. MDMA has this kind of self-limiting property that most people report that it diminishes over that's time. Right. And so we normally think that's a, a bad space. thing, but in a way that you know you don't see long-term MDMA-dependent people the way you see with yeah. cocaine or other drugs. Yeah, because yeah. it has this diminishing effect. And normally, when that happens, you just take a higher dose to get over the tolerance, which is what people do with opiates. But with yeah. MDMA, you get more of the speedy effect, mm-hmm. than you get the open-hearted effect. So the molecule itself is built-in safeguards. Yeah. The only sadness is. You know the magic; it doesn't stay the same throughout. You know, so I, I feel now our first it's, it's very interesting. Was the most intense. And yes. We had a, oh, a huge and right. unforgettable breakthrough. Breakthrough, yeah. But we've had others, but this was oh, yeah. the breakthrough where we uh, decided to collaborate on the Cosm project. You know, it was really like Alex was doing his painting and sculpture. I was doing my painting and sculpture. We both had shows and galleries, and then we did this. And we decided that we were going to do this collaborative social sculpture cosm. That that was, uh, you know, well, we were gonna we were gonna save the sacred mirrors, and we were well, going to make a chapel for them. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange tale because the guy who gave us the MDMA had just bought the sacred mirrors, and. So uh, you know, we took it that weekend and then we, we basically set the sales off uh, <laughs> and because we think we should do this chapel thing yeah. and uh, we don't know what it is and uh, but that was basically the beginning of, of it, you know and then talking about it for 10 years our friends started to like do something about it. We didn't get a a non-profit uh, till 1996. So we took it and had this epiphany in in 1985. My, my, my take on it, which was, I think, uh, is that we both felt that we, we had to, we, we were working on it. We were working on our delivery. Like, how do you tell people? We were working on the frames. We were working on the book, Sacred Mirrors. You know, we, we went along sort of doing the, the, 
collateral material for enrollment of other people. We were trying to figure out how do you enroll other people and help you because we didn't have the money to do it. But then, um, yeah, uh, so, so I think that's, that, but I think we also felt that we wanted to be parents. So, you know, but we, we started working, we kept working on different aspects of it and, and, and rolling people and doing slide talks. You know, we would go all around the world and we developed our, 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 our talks. Yeah, know. absolutely. Really Alex doing most of the talking and me doing a lot of the directing. Mm-hmm. But I was in the background for a while until we started speaking together. Yeah. Well, we did but a lot of performances we did together performances and things. Together I think that is what uh, led us to what we're doing today. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, I think that it always, uh, uh, surprises me now that, uh, that I run into so many people who have had have tattoos of my art yeah. on them and things like well, that. Yeah. And it's why does that amazing? Well, it's amazing to me because it was a it was a journey I had. It was a psychedelic experience that became, you know, as immortalized as an artist can make a, a an impermanent object. You know. Yeah. Uh, but it, as a way of honoring the experience, you know, and respecting it and not saying you're losing your mind, you're coming to your uh, humanity, you're coming to your God self, really. Yeah. And if that's at the heart of things, if God is love, and that this is really about getting back to love, getting humanity back to loving itself rather than hating itself and wanting to kill itself. That's the state of the world today. So uh, this is the medicine, and this is the moment. And I think that the uh, combined forces of science and culture uh, can help dose the world, you know, and in a visually and uh, philosophically, so that you know the foundation of the great civilizations was sacramental and. I don't know how a materialist culture makes way for a moral center, makes way for a, a, a mystical experience as a meaningful subject. Yeah, we're going to have to find out. <laughs> and, I, and I think we are finding out, and it's often through crisis and through the environmental destruction and the technological global warming and through yeah. the tools of warfare that we have that are so powerful. that under crisis and that's where I think the um, the idea for me is the um, mysticism is the antidote to fundamentalism yes and that if we can help all these rigid cultures and rigid religions um, have direct experiences you know the hierarchies Mm -hmm. will lose some power but they'll they'll, the whole group will gain in this more direct spiritual sense and so I, I, I just think the way in which you and I have had um, different experiences with the police here at Burning Man. So yeah. loving, it's about how I'm do we teach that. the police yeah, yes. that, you know, and so you were the victims of the police, and kind for of. us, we were the educators of the police. Yes. I have to tell you one way, though. I told these guys yeah. already, but I want to tell you, we, we, we told these guys, this, this one policeman, Alex was telling him that the studies, the science studies, we're just sitting there, they're, yeah. they're, they're plaguing our car, you know, they're yeah. pirating our, our vehicle. And Alex said, well, the studies are saying that it that that it kind it of is could a help neuro protectant. Yeah. It could even help uh, defrag, deplaque the uh, neurons. Has yeah. shown up in mice. Just do that, and I love it that THC, our old friend, 
is the uh, real healer there. Yeah. You know, no, you gotta, you gotta take the medicine. You know, it'll make you feel better. And you know, we lost hope that medicine could make you feel better. You know, uh, this is medicine that always has for thousands of years. It's, yeah. it's, it's humanity's oldest ally as a plant. It's probably at the foundation of agriculture, like like Sagan said. You know, so the uh, the the whole the whole idea of civilization is wrapped up in psychedelics, agriculture. You know, sitting around throwing that stuff on the fire, like what is that stuff? Wow. Hey, I just got an idea. Imagine a you know, like, took a bale of it and put it on a yeah. fire in a cave, yeah. and like the whole cave fills yeah. with smoke. You know, I just spoke with um, Lester Grinspoon. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, just, how's just, he doing? He's doing pretty well. I mean, he's in a uh, sort of a um, not a rest home, but you know, an elder care home. Yes. He's moved out of his home with him wow. and Betsy. Wow. He, his big problem is that most of his neighbors don't smoke pot, so he doesn't have as much. Company to smoke pot with, but what he talked about the reason I brought it up is because he talked about Carl Sagan, and he, he said that he told me the story. But and this gets to the idea of patience. Mm. So um, this was the 1973 that he had come out with um, marijuana reconsidered a little yes. bit before that, and then um, Carl Sagan, um, who was his best friend. And wow, so, did not know that. Yeah, they were, and Carl smoked marijuana every day for 40 years, but kept it hidden because he needed security clearances to. You know, do the space launch, various things. Oh my God! So Carl said uh, to Lester that um, he liked his book. He thought the book was great, but Lester had made a major, major mistake. And Lester's like, what, "What's this mistake?" And Carl said, "Well, in your book, you're predicting that marijuana is going to be legal by the end of the decade, and I think it's going to be legal way sooner." <laughs> <laughs> You know, so well, they that's were what like, I mean. Why, why is it taking well, so because long? Of You're saying fears. 20 they, years? Okay. Because w what happened then was the rise of the parents' movement and the worries about parents for their kids. So it wasn't so much, it still was psychedelics counterculture, but it was also parents worried about their kids. And the parents' movements is what led to Nancy Reagan and Just Say No in the oh, late 70s, my early 80s. Gosh. So. You know, the fears and the anxieties that are there in culture, we can't minimize them. And it takes a long time. I mean, even these police officers are, you know, some of them are somewhat conflicted about what they're doing. I Other know. Of, so uh -huh. I wanted to say, I wanted to, to finish by saying that when you told him this, that your father had Alzheimer's and you were taking this as a neuroprotectant because you knew that it was helping you, he said, well, my father has Alzheimer's and I would never think of giving him this stuff. And I said, well, it's too late for him, but it isn't too late for you. Great. He was like, you could just see it like come across his face. Because everybody who has parents with Alzheimer's worries yeah. about how can I, you know, what, what, what preventative medicine can I take now? What can I do? Do I have yeah. to take more vitamin E? What do I have to do, you know? And this is really it. I think this is going to be great for cannabis. Everybody's so scared of Alzheimer's. It's and, and cancer, the anti-tumor properties of the cannabinoids. Oh, that's right. Is, and smoking, it's on the lung cancer. Well, I mean, don't you think that uh, a great number of health conditions have come about uh, because of the lack of cannabis, that there's a basically a cannabis deficiency in humanity at this point. And that's why there's all this war, and that's why there's, you know, people are going around ramming into uh, 
beachfuls of people. This is this people are coming unhinged. They they need to get back to center. And, yeah. you know, I wanted yeah. to ask. Yeah. I wanted to ask if you know of any studies or anybody interested in treating schizophrenia with LSD or psychedelics. Is there uh, anything going on psilocybin? Well, that kind of stuff would need to be done on an inpatient basis. So the more disturbed people are, yes, the more they need a controlled setting for yes. the research. So Stan Groff in the early '50s, '60s, they did do work with various people of major mental illness. Um, I'm not so sure. I mean, Julie Holland, who, you know, yes. she went to, uh, she was a lead singer in a rock and roll band, and she gave it up to become a doctor. Right. Uh, yeah, and so I knew her before she decided to, to become she, a doctor. She told us a great story, by the way. She was on the show about a month and a half ago, oh. and uh, she told us that uh, she took MDMA with you on the last night that it was legal. Well, this is, um, this is how memory is. Um, I, I remember it to be the day after MDMA. <laughs> She's <laughs> that memory or discretion? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, but, but she um, wanted to study MDMA for schizophrenia. So right. I think that would be wow. more what I would use well, than LSD for schizophrenia yeah. because it's more integrative. And, right. But at some point, so um, you know, it's not a panacea for everything. No, no. But I was thinking because uh, schizophrenics seem to be tuning in on a different level. They're talking, they hear yeah. things, they hear things, and they really do believe that they're seeing things and whatever. Yeah. And these are the experiences that we have when we let our levels go. I mean, I think a lot in, in, in ayahuasca, particularly, yeah. because, you know, you hear you hear the entities, you ask for advice and you get it. Yeah. You things, Voices tell you things that you know you would never think of yourself, that you at least you think you wouldn't. So there's this thing where you're tuning in on another level, and I always wondered whether, I don't know, whether anybody was thinking that. Um, that'll be the last thing, probably, that we Yeah, is it really I mean, seriously Because people are excluded if they have schizophrenia That's from right. even being in the MDMA and the psilocybin studies and the LSD studies, they're excluded. Because right. just the way we're doing it on an outpatient basis, where you're people right. come, even if they yeah. spend the night in the center, they need more support if they're really schizophrenic. They have to be hospitalized and watched and uh, for a long period of time and who, yeah. who's, in whose interest yeah. is it. I mean, they yeah. did do uh, some research and things with, I know Salvador Roquette even uh, yeah. was working with very disturbed, criminally insane kind of psychotic uh, yeah. folks. And uh, he stayed with them for years. They were the dregs of the prisons, basically, mm -hmm. that he said... Well, I want to do this thing, you know, is there any, you know, like, is there anyone that you really have given up on, you know, and just, if you've given up on them, why don't you let me try, you know, and so, with nothing to lose, he did, uh, and, and uh, he developed quite an extraordinary uh, uh, therapy, but uh, he did work with a uh, number of patients, and at, for, at least from the art that that patient had done over a period of time. There was a, uh, I think there was a healing transformation. I don't know whether, there, you know, what the person was like, and I don't know whether, you know, he would claim that they were cured of, of their, you know, of everything, but it kind of apparently seemed like that. And uh, so there's promising stuff, but at the same time, these are the, these are the, worst kind of cases that we see when young people start to self-administer, have no idea that they might be borderline personality. 
and uh, wind up, you know, playing in the fountain in the village square or something, and losing losing their boundaries and perhaps catalyzing the uh, that yeah. latent kind of. Well, that uh, that's the big question state. actually. Is you know, is it latent schizophrenia that's catalyzed by psychedelics, or did the psychedelics? produce experiences that were so hard for them to integrate that they distance themselves yes. from it. And so there are a lot of cases of people that seem to become schizophrenic after psychedelic experiences. So really? Oh, that's why they're so timid and, to and ever the, the explanation is because um, also triggers. what Lester has said is that if you look at the base rate of schizophrenia throughout history, it's around 1% of the population. And then you look at the way in which psychedelics and marijuana came into the 60s, and the population who used them vastly expanded, but the yes. base rate of, of schizophrenia didn't change. Really? So that's, yeah, so that's, that's why he, he's that's thinking, good. and many think <laughs> that it is that it is more like that latent schizophrenia, but, it, yes. but it's it's hard to make that case. That would that argue case. for that. But also, no, that's that's not, that it's being done recreationally, yeah. too. Yeah. Not in the right set but, setting. It's being self-administered at parties mm -hmm. and out in the but, brutal world. But you wonder, world. if people had more supportive setting, right. would they have had that break right. or not? Well, it, correct. Yeah. Like it's uh, diathesis is your predisposition to it, and then life stress can bring yeah. it about. Yeah. And exactly what you're saying, if you can mm. reduce the stress, yeah. then I think it's going to be helpful. But there, there's both. Yeah. They're both components. Yeah. I think the thing to say is that we are on the verge of, you know, the opportunity to see the full range of things that psychedelics can do, and that we're doing the politically the most salient kind of studies, you know, with and the easiest ones in a way, the ones where it's most likely to work, end of life and PTSD. And then once we get more cultural, and you asked earlier, like a 25 year plan, <laughs> you know, so. Um, it's a question you ask a patient man. Yeah, yeah, so, so I, I think we will, you know, in the next five, six years, get psychedelics approved for a few most likely indications. Then we will then be expanding that over the next 10 years after that. And then I think as the culture gets ready, not only do family members become able to come to these psychedelic clinics, but then the, the model actually goes back to something that Timothy Leary talked about, which was the driver's license model. So the idea is that right now, I think the best example is to say that a lot of people are drunk drivers and they lose their license to drive. But a lot of them still drink and still kill people because they didn't lose their license to drink. So we all have credit cards that are instantly validated. So we should have a license to do drugs. And if you misbehave, you have that license taken away from you. So there's still going to be an underground, that black market, but it'll be less and harder. And the so, approval process. So alcohol should be tightened up to, to be like this driver's license. And then I think with all of the people that are using psychedelics responsibly and the taxes that are paid on that, then we create these clinics where it's a site of initiation. So let's say a young person with their parents' permission wants to do psychedelics. They go to this clinic, they have an experience, or an adult goes to this clinic, and then if they don't have a schizophrenic break or something, then they get a license to buy psychedelics on their own. They can do it at home, they can do it in a religious pure, setting. They pure can do psychedelics it, with the right yeah, dosages. Yeah, they can do it at Burning Man, and we'll have different kind of support services at different places, but it's the basic human right to explore consciousness, which is what we're getting to. And I think the big uh, issue about children, and um, 
and I mean we've talked about this a fair it's amount. It's been an interesting. Is that I think that um, we should become the family values advocates, and so drug use by children should not be a government decision where the government says absolutely not. It should be turned back to the families. So if the parents want to say, like it's with the Native American Church and the Ayahuasca churches where they introduce their kids as they're growing up if it seems right so it should I'm be a convert. parents Thank should you. have You've the right me. to introduce psychedelics to their children if they want to and then adults should have the right to uh, get a license to buy and use them in whatever context they want well, religious therapeutic or recreational or or microdosing at work or, or creative. You, you, I mean, psychedelics, I don't know. I mean, I was really glad. I was just telling these guys before you came that we, that the fact that we smoked with our teenage daughter made our life wonderful and no problems with teenage years. It was just like, you know, yeah. you want to have no problems with teenage years? Just do that. And, you know, you realize that you're having as much of an identity crisis as they are and you're kind of, it levels the playing field. You have a great... I'm not sure, I mean, I'm really glad she waited until she was 15, but I, I don't know. I mean, uh, a lot of, like you say, in cultures where they, uh, they introduce ayahuasca earlier, it comes in the breast milk yeah. if they're doing, you know, whatever they're doing. So I, I tried not to judge the drugs, really. It's really people's, uh, we know people whose babies, like really young babies took LSD accidentally. <laughs> Two years old, they took it off the altar and they took a mega dose. That's and that's what, scary. What that you know what they did? You know what they did? Child was like uh, uh, between one and two years old, I believe, and yeah. they found it on their altar and okay. then they ate it. And right. uh, so the uh, uh, they so the parents. Not at all. If you pass it this way. <laughs> yeah. well, no, I, I need to apologize only because um, you got to go. I have to go for yeah. a meeting. There's someone who's talking about um, developing a, a twenty million dollar fund to support profitable businesses related to psychedelics. Well, and so you know, I'm so focused on the nonprofit, but they yes. want to do for psychedelics with marijuana yes. with all the ancillary businesses. Wow. So there's a what ancillary businesses, just before you well, go? Well, the pipes, the, you know, the oh. Sherm, oh, all the different, yeah, paraphernalia. I've got kind of an important question before you go. I love your ID concept. Yeah. Do you think there's a genetic marker that would tell us if somebody is more likely to have the schizophrenic experience or not? I mean, I know we probably don't know, but there, what do you think? Um, I think that's what you're saying, too. There could be some sort of marker predisposition but then what happens the stresses in the life to activate yeah. so yeah. like with epigenetics where we're learning so much about how you know in one generation that you know the genes don't change but which genes get activated can change and so there, there you know may be with big data ways to figure that out um, Rick, before you go, uh, yeah. kind of the we created this podcast uh, two years ago here at Burning Man. It was a, it was a kind of an idea that came out of uh, seeing a talk, and, uh, and I guess our whole uh, <laughs> this is great. <laughs> Thank you. I guess I guess our intention is to connect as many people as we can and uh, create. Uh, it's very hard sometimes to feel like there is a community actually around you. And so the podcast is a great. So the the podcast is a great medium because you can be anywhere in the world, and we keep getting weird emails from all over the place, yeah. like New Zealand and whatever. And, and and people, I think, find comfort in the fact that just by putting an earphone in, you can 
connect to a group of people who say what you're doing and what you think is okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're not alone. So so I guess um, what what would you what do you what would you tell them? What would you want them to do or or say? Well, how can how can they help? Well, um, if we look at other social change movements, uh, most recently the probably the biggest example is gay rights and gay marriage. Mm -hmm. And so how did that come about? And that came about because of people coming out and I saying that they were gay. Yeah. I was saying that. Yeah, Allison forced us out. Exactly. Yeah, right. I was just having that conversation. Yeah. Kicked us out of the closet. Yeah. I got yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. Tell your parents. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, it starts with your family. Yeah, exactly. So we have the Global Psychedelic Dinner. So we want yeah. people to check the, the maps.org website and look at the psychedelic dinners. And the idea there is that um, it's both... Um, an opportunity, people um, invite people over for dinner, or it happens at a private restaurant or something like that, and a bunch of people come together and tell their stories of what psychedelics have meant to them. It can mm -hmm. be positive, it can be negative. Okay. And then at the end of it, if people want to donate, we're asking people, we're trying to buy a kilogram of medical grade MDMA. It's costing $400,000. A lot more expensive than the first compared one you bought. Yeah, yeah, compared to $4,000. Um, we've raised about $156,000 oh from these dinners wow. so far. And wow. so if people want to donate to the dinner, but the, the main thing is everybody can come and share a story. And that gets people comfortable telling their stories in more or less safe environments, and then they can branch out and tell their stories in um, you know, more hostile or, or more dubious, critical contexts. Okay. So I think that's what people can do, is spread this sense that if psychedelics have been useful to them, if they can be uh, you know, out and proud about it, yeah. without feeling like they're... The, the one thing people need to know is that um, in order for the police to get a search warrant, they need to know uh, time and place. So when you say, I've done psychedelics, mm -hmm. that doesn't expose you to mm -hmm. a legal search. Okay. Because it doesn't give the information that you're going to do it in the future. You know, so I've had these experiences... Oh my God, what did you say? Yeah, well, I said, so yeah, I do. Very naively, I, I hadn't Walk picked up on Zendo. it yet. And so then he's walking me back to camp, and I'm like, he's like, yeah, I'm not like a creepy dude or anything. And then all of a sudden I was like, yeah, wait a second, yes, you are. And I just had that realization, and I said, you know what, this, we're good right here. I, I, you can go back to your, you're, you're down the street. He goes, yeah, I was like, yeah, we're fine. I, I don't need you to walk me in. And then he insisted on giving me a hug, <laughs> and he had me breathe deeply in and out three times and hugging me very tightly. It was a creepy dude. No, but my entire, <laughs> yeah. my entire exchange with him, it was actually very nice. And then that last like greeting part was actually a really beautiful connection we shared. Oh. And so I don't know well, if it was nice. his ways as an undercover cop, feeling like he wanted to equalize the exchange. Yeah. So maybe he felt bad about what he had just done. The conflicted part. Violate me, you know? I'm yeah. so of course, it's hard to say. I mean, I was actually doing a rare thing. It was I was doing a kind of foolish thing, which was smoking pot in the middle of the deep playa last night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know, and these two people came up to us, and at first I thought, shit, you know, this yeah. is undercover, and they've got the night scopes, I know, and they do have undercover police here. Yes. And then they were like, hmm, oh, that smells like pot. Smell. 
but yep. it turned out they just they wanted to smoke pot. Yeah. <laughs> so they weren't undercover. So it's our fear. Oh, but you could have been in trouble. Yeah, no, it was. I knew that it was. I was taking a risk. So when I saw them first come up, I did project these are the police and I'm in trouble oh. and I'm stupid. I should never have done this, and, you know, but they were just people wanting to get high too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you blame them? Yeah. Right. Really, we're a burning man for God's sake. Well, stop those people from taking these mind-altering yeah, substances like that are the inspiration for their art. That's right. mm. Yeah, so I, I do encourage people to think about that. Uh, and then the other part I would say is that people need to educate themselves because so much of misinformation has been out sure. by the governments to demonize drugs. And so we're all a product of that right. 1980s yeah, that's, drug education yeah. you mentioned yeah, before. And that, that's why I'm so glad to be very well, obviously. doing this podcast with you guys. We are because so glad to. Thank you so Public education much. is really the key, even more than the research. It's to educate because it's the fears and the hopes in the broad population that build up to the prohibition or the end of prohibition and how we give away our power and yeah. how we're the truth not that. anger is yeah so i think help, so just if, for people to educate themselves as much as they can and, and just go to original sources wherever they can do that great yeah that's you great really advice yeah yeah oh yeah we make mojitos yeah. every day from one to six with some pretty good too. music. Which are still okay, completely so. legal. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So long as you're 21. And we'll spend way more time visiting. I'm looking forward to that, Rick. I'm so grateful that you uh, spent some time oh. here. And uh, Entheon's coming along, and it's a, uh, you know, it has a roof on it, and we did a lot of nice work <laughs> Framing. inside. Framing's yeah. inside. There's, uh, we're putting Plumbing. in the mechanicals and things, yeah. and so it is supposed to be a functional temple mm, late next late, late, late 2017. Yeah. So uh, it'll let people in then. Yeah. Even though the the sculptures will take a while longer, or they could happen at Burning Man this 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 yeah. weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just is a matter of money. We have to we have the bank loan to pay for the opening of the interior space. We have yeah. to raise the money for the for sculptures, the and we will. The and we will as but much as we can. We're hoping will, to get the steeplehead on this year. Wow. Maybe maybe steeplehead in 2016. <laughs> well, that's what we're hoping. Congratulations. One thing at a time, yes, you know. You. Yeah. All right. Be patient. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for everything, and not just for today, but for the last 30 years. Exactly. Thank you so much for all your efforts. Yeah, it's an honor. That was Entheogen Talk About Tools for Generating the Divine Within. Find the notes and links for this and other episodes at entheogenshow.com. Sign up to receive an email when we release a new episode. Visit entheogenshow.com and click on support to pledge $2 or $10 per episode on our Patreon campaign. Follow us at Entheogen Show on Twitter and like Entheogen Show on Facebook. And most of all, thank you for listening.